Hi everyone, I'm Colby Horton. And I'm Frank Humata. And we'd like to welcome you to another episode of Engaging in the Next. It's an original podcast from Association Briefings where we talk about what's next for the association community when it comes to technology, Marcom strategy, people, membership, and money. So Frank, let's play a quick game. I like where this is going. Yeah, we'll call it Association Feud, not to be confused with another popular game with a similar name. Okay. <laughs> and uh, some ground rules for you, because I know what a competitor you are. No wagering, uh, no gloating, uh, and yeah, no prize money will be given at the end of it. Fair. All right, well, let's do this. All right. So top three answers on the board. Name a reason someone would join an association. Okay, a reason someone would join an association. How about, oh, the chance to attend a trade show in majestic San Antonio, Texas? Uh, strange answer. Sorry to, sorry to tell you it's not on the board. Who are you polling for this? People not named Frank Humada. All right. Let's try again. You got two more strikes. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with continuing education as a way to you know, broaden your knowledge and advance your career. Very good answer. Definitely on the board. Okay. I uh, got one more. What else you got? Oh, easy. Uh, networking. I don't know why I think of that first. <laughs> Number one answer. There you go. Nice job. So really, you hit the nail on the head there, Frank. Today, we're going to talk about what many would consider to be an association's biggest value proposition, this idea of community and how it drives the overall experience of your members within your association. You know, really, we have to hand it to associations. I mean, Frank, you get it. Two years ago, when everything was shut down, people started working from home, events were canceled, travel was postponed. Associations, as they always do, stepped up and continued this quest for community, this bringing together of like-minded professionals who share the same challenges, the same expectations, the same journeys. And for many organizations, quite frankly, that shift ultimately saved them. But really, after two years of networking in virtual boxes via Zoom or at virtual events, the time has come, and surveys are showing it, the time has come to return to connecting face-to-face. -face. Now, and I think a lot of people are excited about that, and even myself attending a couple of recent live events, you, you just see that sparkle in everyone's eyes, seeing old friends again, or you have some of the, the young professionals who are attending their first in-person networking events and, and they're being very proactive on trying to meet as many people as they can, you know, have the discussions and, and you know, possibly finding mentors or, or, or finding even people that would hire them in the future. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I just came back from the DFWAE Association Day event. And it was, it was your typical day of education sessions, you know, talking to exhibitors, it was a great award ceremony. It was bookended by, you know, an opening keynote address and a closing remarks. But the excitement there was contagious. I mean, people wanted to participate in discussions. People wanted to talk to others before a session began. People wanted to share conversation over happy hour. I mean, it was great to see again. No, as you're talking about it, you, there are those little coffee breaks that you have where people aren't even getting coffee. They're just having conversations and showing up for the sessions late because they're having those great discussions. Right. Because, you know, when all is said and done, I think we all crave community and the experiences that come with it. 
mean, for many of us in the association world, there's always been this desire to gather together. Mm -hmm. And while the pandemic certainly changed the way we gather, we still needed that sense of connection and the collaboration that came with it. And today there's really this pent up demand to get back together, I mean, to, to, to shake hands, to hug, to have lunch, to, to really have those face-to-face -face conversations again. Couldn't agree more. I really want to focus today on two groups. First, the young professionals, the 35 and younger generation grew up in a tech-focused world who simply want to make a big difference in the world that they live in today, both personally and professionally. But second, we also want to talk about those professionals who have decided to take part in the great resignation, the great reshuffle, whatever the next term will be. Hmm. You know, the need to network, the need to be part of a community has never been more important for these millions of industry professionals. I mean, you, you said it, they go to an event or networking session and they're meeting their future employers. They're, they're meeting their future mentors. They're meeting their future team members. And associations are such a huge part of forming and evolving this sense of belonging. So in essence, associations are leading the way again. So we're going to talk about community, involving young professionals into your association's community, planning events that bring together the entire community, and evolving the way we plan those events to create an inviting community. So Frank, who do we have on tap today? Today we have Marty Chapman, who is the Director of Member Engagement for the American Farm Bureau Federation. And he's made his way from Wyoming to Washington, D.C., working for associations for the past 14 years. And when he's not working with members or planning events, you can find him out running around the National Mall, grilling on his rooftop, or hopping on a plane for a vacation. Welcome to the podcast, Marty. Thanks. I appreciate you guys having me. Well, thanks for joining us. And Marty, this may come as no surprise, but every association is different. Uh, so for the sake of discussion, uh, let's define your members. You know, who are they and, and why do they join the association? So with American Farm Bureau, we're a grassroots organization. So officially, the national level, we have 51 members, which would be the 50 states and Puerto Rico. And then from that goes down to the county level. So we officially have right under 6 million members. And 2.2 of those are farmer and rancher members. And those are the members that we work with each and every day. They're the members that actively farm and ranch across the United States. And then to drill down even further, the majority of my time is spent with our members that are 18 to 35. So that is considered our young farmers and ranchers and our Collegiate Farm Bureau members. And depending on what they're looking for, they have lots of different reasons to join. Uh, some of our members join for member benefits. So like many associations, we have um, some good connections with industry partners that provide a, a discount for goods and services. And then we have a lot of our members, especially our full-time farmer and rancher members, that really want to have a voice at the national level all day, every day. And that's something that we provide. We have a public policy shop of 15 lobbyists, and that's what they do every day is they lobby for the good of our farmers and ranchers because our farmers and ranchers are busy on their operations. And so having that voice of agriculture on Capitol Hill each and every day is, is a, a huge perk to our members. So, you know, as a company, we believe that 
it's time for associations to kind of rethink new ways to uh, engage with young professionals. You know, it, it comes through an involvement and in top level committees or different ways of networking, or in our case, you know, different ways to distribute content or provide different types of content. But do you think these young professionals, these 18 to, to 35 year olds that you talk about, do you think they expect something different out of their association membership compared to your more veteran members? Yeah, I think that connection and community is really important to our our young professionals and young young members. That ability to have a conversation about a hurdle that they're facing, brainstorm ideas is is really really important. I think another thing that we've seen especially through covid and our understanding that you can stay connected over zoom or teams is we see a lot of our members wanting to have that connection with international uh, young farmers and ranchers as well. Uh, we had a great call with our Australian counterparts a couple months ago, and, and our members were fascinated to learn and understand the issues that they're facing in Australia are the same issues that, that they're facing here in the United States. So I think that connectivity and sense of community just to share best practices and to network is, is really, really important to that younger audience. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you know, we all kind of crave that community and the experiences that we build. And I think that's something that COVID kind of struck from us all. And, and so now we're all gathering back together. Uh, and I think it's really important to rebuild that community. And I, I think these, it's these young professionals that are going to kind of help do that for us all. For sure. And associations are getting better at recruiting and retaining millennial members who have been traditionally been called the young professional group of an association. But now that Gen Z is coming into the workforce. Are associations prepared to market to them? And what are some things organizations should do to cater this group of young professionals? I think just being willing to listen, learn, and be adaptive. And I think, again, COVID taught us that we can do that. Um, I know that we are focusing, uh, as an entire organization, we're focusing more actual staff time or staff positions focused on young professionals. I was just in a meeting with my counterparts in Madison last week, and several of our states are actually dedicating full-time staff positions to our young professionals and really trying to figure out what they need. We have a large audience that, that is in that collegiate group and trying to figure out, and we're trying to figure it out on a national level as well, but how do we, how do we engage them while they're busy being good college students? And then what do we need to provide to them? as they come out to keep them engaged. We don't have that golden ticket answer yet, but I think we're doing a a great job of uh, dedicating time and resources to try and answer that. I think if you have that golden ticket, feel free to share it with the association community because I think it's that silver (laughs) bullet that we're we're all probably looking for. Absolutely. And Marty, what are are some nuggets of advice you can give to some of these young members and prospects? Get involved. That was some of the best advice I got as a, as a young professional. And it's the one thing that I tell anybody that will listen that's in that age range, raise your hand, be willing to volunteer, be willing to help out, even if it's a small project. You never know who you're going to meet, uh, the connections that will bring, the network that that will bring. Uh, so just be willing to, to raise your hand and be willing to help out and get involved. In addition to raising your hand and being willing to volunteer, I also challenge a lot of our young professionals to consider uh, raising their hand to volunteer in an organization or association that isn't necessarily for us in the agriculture space. Uh, in DC, we have associations for associations. And so I challenge myself to 
ask and, and talk to other association professionals outside of the agriculture space, because we're all trying to figure out how to engage members and be the best that we can for them. And there's a lot of good stuff out there. So definitely encourage members to, to think outside of their comfort zone. That's great advice. There's some great news that came out in the association event space last month. And basically a, a recent survey from the U.S. Travel Association said that 84% of business travelers plan to take at least one trip to attend a conference or a convention or a trade show in the next six months. So let's talk about the idea of virtual versus live events. Marty, is there still a place for virtual as we move into a post-pandemic world? Yeah, I definitely think we've learned a lot of lessons that we can keep. And I, I think there's still good stuff happening in the virtual space. So one thing that came out of COVID for us is we created a, an event that we have the third Monday of every month called YFNR Connect. So Young Farmers and Ranchers Connect. And it's our opportunity to spend about 30 minutes providing good content to our members and then 30 minutes of networking. So a lot of times that's putting them into breakout rooms with a, a facilitator to just f- facilitate some good discussion. And our members love that. It's it's the same time, it's the same uh, same Zoom link. It, it's always gonna happen on that Monday at, this, at the same time. And so I think that is one place where people can still come and network, get some good information that will help them be better farmers, ranchers, members, for our organization. And so there are things like that that have come from COVID that I still think need to continue. But that being said, as we look to getting back to more in-person opportunities, I think we need to be mindful of the time of our association members. So back in the heart of COVID, when there was not much to do besides be a part of every piece of virtual program that you could, that was one thing. And now that people are going back to work and Uh, events are happening and people are um, traveling again, I think it's important as associations that we be mindful that time is a precious commodity um, now that people are getting back to moving around. Do you find on those virtual events that you still put on and folks gather for information and then gather to network, do you have any idea uh, of a breakdown between you know, your younger professionals versus uh, your older members? Who's taking part in, in that? For us, it's definitely more of our, our younger, young farmers and ranchers age, age group. We open it up to anybody, but that's definitely the age group that that comes in and is, I think, really thirsty for that information. And I think the other piece to it that we're very mindful of is that we do start on time, we do end on time to be respectful of the other obligations that they have on their calendars. And you feel that they participate pretty well in the, mm-hmm. the networking event? Yeah. Yep. And there's, I mean, we always do get just in, even with in-person, you always have some people that, that are there. And I, I, I know you're asking me to have a conversation with a friend next to me, I'm really just here for the information. We do have that as well, that people really just want to come and, and learn and the networking piece isn't as important to them. It's whatever content we're providing, but just like in-person, I think that's just people come for different reasons and you've got to be okay with that. I think it's the best of both worlds, right? I think there's a lot of associations that put on those virtual events or virtual education sessions, and the networking is just an afterthought. Again, going back to what I said earlier, I think people are craving that networking, that ability to converse with others in the same field. And I think you're doing it perfect to to have this virtual uh, environment where they can learn, 
but also network. So nice job there. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that net, that networking piece is is super important. Virtual, in person, hybrid, whatever it is. Hey guys, in that in that same U.S. Travel Association report, remote employees are being strongly encouraged to hit the road to engage with fellow team members and attend in person training and celebrations. Uh, Marty, you've now held a couple in person events. Uh, what successes are are you seeing there, and what are your members saying? Our members are super excited to be back in person. They uh, they were for thriving for it for a while and, and are, are super excited to, to be back. Um, I think one of the, the biggest successes that we saw at our recent conference that we had in Louisville was we were intentional about that networking piece. And rather than having a later afternoon breakout session round, Instead, we turned it into what we called power hours, and it was an opportunity for them to be allowed to enjoy each other's company and not sit in a chair watching another PowerPoint presentation. And so as I worked uh, to get those created, the people that we tapped to help, I said, you can do whatever you want, but you can't have a PowerPoint and you can't make them sit there uh, in their chairs. And so uh, we did two rounds, two different days. We had a walking tour of the downtown area of Louisville, the uh, trivia. We had Louisville's known for their old fashions. And so there was a, a learning session on uh, the history of the old fashioned and, and how to make, and they actually made an old fashioned and then played some trivia. Uh, we also had some facilitated discussions uh, where people got up and moved around. And then we used Goose Chase, which is just an app, uh, online app that you can use to do a, a scavenger hunt. So, and what we heard is people appreciated. I don't feel bad for going outside and doing something and chatting with my friends because you built it into the schedule. So I, you know, got to, got to hang out with four of my new friends and we, we walked around and learned about the, the city of Louisville, but it was nice to not feel like I was ditching out on the conference because it was an actual part of the conference. You know, I, I think what we're all realizing too is that we're having to relearn how to network in person. So adding uh, a little bit of old fashioned uh, <laughs> alcohol to the, the mix can certainly help out, I'm sure. But it's that relearning. I mean, it's hard. You watch people at in-person events now and not quite sure how to approach, what to say, do they shake hands? So we're all having to relearn it. I think those power hours and really getting them involved and giving them something to do as a group uh, certainly helps as opposed to just tossing them all in a room and saying, okay, as you say, go, go talk to your neighbor, have some conversation, and we'll meet up uh, later for a presentation or whatever. So I, I think that works nicely. Yeah, we did uh, at our annual convention on the trade show floor, we had a dedicated space on the trade show floor and dedicated time. So people with similar, similar jobs uh, could come for that one hour and network. So maybe it was the communications team that hosted something, uh, you know, from two to three. But to your point, there was this kind of like safe space where you knew you wouldn't have to drum up a random conversation with somebody. Like you already knew that if you went from that time frame, there would be people that that worked in the same field as you. So you already had something to talk about. That certainly helps. So let's talk a little bit about site visits based on expectations and how you're facilitating your networking events and your events in general, has there been a change to how your convention team visits prospective sites? So 
Not too much. In the right when I started traveling again for work was for site visits. And at that point, it was a little bit more, there was more apprehension around some of that. I think um, our convention team is doing site visits for 26 right now. And it sounds like things are pretty back to normal. But I know I had a friend that works for Visit Dallas. And as they were starting back their site visits, it was, they were very intentional about, you know, how many people from your team are coming to the site? What is going to make you feel the safest? I know that she had several conversations with different groups. Do you want, do you feel comfortable all being in one vehicle? Do you guys want to drive yourself, you know, your own vehicle and drive and just follow us? Do you want one great big bus? So I think cities are are doing whatever they can to make people feel as comfortable as possible on those sites. And then, as you know, as you're you're visiting the convention center or the hotels or, or the off sites, they are as well being very accommodating um, to make sure that that you feel as comfortable as possible. And then also, you know, hey, if you do, if you don't feel comfortable coming in, always got an option online, or we can send you videos. So uh, I've been really pleased with how accommodating they've been and how comfortable I felt as I've done sites. Is your convention team catching up? I mean, they've had, you know, virtually a year and a half, maybe longer of not being able to do those in-person site visits. I'm sure they're a little bit behind. Are they catching up now? They are trying their best, but I think everybody's really far behind. Uh, In our perfect world, we're just getting ready to site for 24. So we're really far behind on the conference space as well. It was so tough in the in the heat of things that everybody just fell behind. Um, so now it's from our standpoint, we're playing catch up over between now to the end of the summer to to try our best uh, to get ready for for upcoming events and get things contracted. And Marty, what are you looking for in a site visit that would fit the needs of your members? And does that change based on young professionals versus veteran members? Yeah. So it. It definitely depends. So uh, the the conference that I oversee changes each year. So one year, the focus is the members that are 18 to 35. And then the following year, it's our 18 to our well-seasoned members. And so it definitely, when I go on sites, depending on what year we're siting for, it definitely changes what I'm looking for. So if it's a year where we have the full range of members, definitely looking for a location our ultimate hope is where everything's under one one roof, you know, uh, meeting room space, um, as well as our our hotel space. Whereas when it's 18 to 35, it gives me a little bit more opportunity to maybe use a hotel, two hotels and a convention center. I just always want to be as mindful as possible that the location that we are selecting is making is a good fit for that audience and that it's easy for them to get around. I think the other thing as I look for good locations is that off, what offsites are available for us to use. We always do one, if not two offsites. And it's important to me that as our members leave the city that we have the conference at, that they're able to say, yeah, I was able to see and experience Louisville because we had an event at the Kentucky Derby Museum. I, you know, the, the hotel is really nice, but um, I was able to see and experience the entire, um, some of the city. And so looking for those offsites that you can only find in that city. So as we've done other conferences, um, we had one, we went to the Harley Davidson Museum in Milwaukee. When we were in Pittsburgh, we went to Heinz Stadium. So really trying to find one offsite that you wouldn't be able to see or experience anywhere else is something that I always 
look for them. So what changes do attendees expect from events today than maybe they did two years ago? I think it's really that dedicated networking and the space to have those conversations that you can't have in an online platform. So making sure that there is that, you know, instead of doing a 15 minute beverage break, people want 30 minutes to be able to say, I'm going to go, I'm going to grab my coffee. And then I want to be able to have an opportunity to have a conversation, a good conversation with somebody that, that I maybe met at the breakout session beforehand or somebody that I meet in, in line getting coffee. So I think the, the big thing is people want the space and the like thumbs up. It's okay to enjoy yourselves, network, uh, and build those relationships that you lost or were unable to make in the virtual setting. Thanks, Marty. We really appreciate your insights. We like to end all of our podcasts with a segment we like to call the briefings a minute. So we're going to fire off a minute worth of questions. Give us the first answer that comes to mind. No pressure. You ready? Sounds good. All right, here we go. As an active runner, what is the best city to run a race? Las Vegas, nice and flat. You just checked into a hotel and you're exhausted. Bed sheets tucked or untucked? Untucked, first thing. All untucked. Thank you. Okay. All right, Marty. What is your favorite restaurant in DC? I, uh, oh, you know. So what do you enjoy more? Watching movies on Netflix or watching trailers on Netflix? Movies. I agree. My, my girlfriend does not agree. <laughs> <laughs> Which do you prefer more? Noisy neighbors or nosy neighbors? Who noisy neighbors. Would you rather be too hot or too cold? Too cold because I can always add layers. Now, what kind of traveler are you? Get to the airport two hours early or right before boarding? Right before boarding with enough time to refill my water and get a Starbucks coffee for the, for the ride. Smart planning. So at a conference, would you rather have no internet or no cell phone? Ooh, that, I, that's, I need to, that's so horrible. That's a, <laughs> that's a horrible position to put me in. Um, uh, no internet. Sorry to give you any future nightmares. Yeah. Uh, we'll mark that down. <laughs> Here we go. a softball one. What was your favorite after-school snack growing up? Uh, yogurt and pretzels. I would put the pretzels in the yogurt. You should patent that. <laughs> if you weren't in the association industry, what job would you want? Oh, my! I would love to be the person in charge of determining the Amazing Race locations and the challenges. I love that. I do too. Well, that's your buzzer. Thanks again for joining us, Marty. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of Engaging in the Next. Join us each month as we discuss trends that impact what's next in the association world. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Thanks, everyone. See you.